This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. have your Bibles, encourage you to open them to Luke's Gospel. We're going to be looking at Luke 19. In the week leading up to Jesus' crucifixion, the biblical writers invite us uh, not just to listen to Jesus as he speaks, but to actually watch him, to look at him, to encounter him. And in the final week of his life on earth, Jesus reveals a lot about the kind of Savior he is. And that's true of the text that we're looking at today. I'm going to pick up reading Luke 19, starting in verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it, and he went along. As as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, He wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Today we're going to think about the kind of king Jesus is, the response he deserves, and the compassion he feels. The kind of king he is, the response he deserves, and the compassion he feels. First, the kind of king he is. In Luke's account of Jesus' life, Jesus has not been in Jerusalem since he was a boy. And the time has come for him to return. But this is no ordinary entry into a city. Typically, Jesus and his disciples walked everywhere they went. Here, while they're still hanging out in the suburbs of Jerusalem, something different happens. He instructs two of his disciples to go get a donkey for him. Jesus is going to ride into the city. Riding into a city is something conquerors did after a victory. It's an act of a champion. Riding into a city is a ticker tape parade. Jesus is making a statement about himself. He's a king. He's a conqueror. He's a champion. Something else that adds further emphasis to this, Jesus is orchestrating all the events. 
He sends his disciples to go get a donkey. He tells them what the owner of that donkey is going to say when they see his two disciples hauling off his property. He tells them how to respond. He's in complete control of the whole situation. So just picture this now. Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm not going to walk into Jerusalem. I'm going to ride into Jerusalem. After hearing that, they might be thinking to themselves, well, this is it. This is it. Finally, he's going to vindicate the people of Israel. But Jesus has tempered their celebration because he says, I'm going to ride in on a donkey. Now, at that moment, the disciples may have been a bit confused. Kings, conquerors, champions in the ancient world did not ride into cities on donkeys. That's like a Super Bowl champion riding on old, rusted-out banana seat bicycles for their parade. Kings, champions, they ride on the backs of stallions or in gold-outlaid chariots, not donkeys. So what kind of king is this exactly? I'm sure he had them off balance. I'm sure he had them confused. The people of Israel were hoping for a king who would squash the oppression of Roman rule. They were hoping for a king who would free them and restore them as the chief influential power in the Mediterranean region kind of king they were looking for could just speak and end all the tyranny and scatter the enemies. The kind of king they were looking for rode on stallions, not donkeys. So what kind of king is this? God is on a donkey. What are your expectations of this donkey riding God? I think we frequently get disappointed with this God. We want him to crush our enemies, give us success, comfort, convenience, security. That's the kind of God we want. We want God to eradicate the Romans. We want a king who who rides on a stallion, trampling on his enemies. We want a God like that a God made in our own image and likeness. When we realize that our God is a donkey-riding God, we get disappointed with him. What kind of king is he? He's a king. He's the ultimate king. Yet this donkey-riding king is what is so profound about Christianity. Christianity is patterned after the life of Christ. That means we ride on donkeys before we ride on the blazing backs of stallions. It means we endure heartache and pain before we're crowned with ultimate joy and happiness. It means we must endure the oppression of hurtful words and displeasure and anxiety before we're clothed in moral beauty. God on a donkey means carrying a cross before being crowned in glory. That's the kind of king Jesus is. Have you ever paused to think about the world's obsession with kings and queens and princes and princesses? There's an amusement park out there that makes billions on this alone. In the history of England, there have been 57 kings. Presently, there are between 44 and 48 monarchies in our world. King Arthur legendary British leader who, according to medieval histories and romances, led the defense of Britain against the Saxon invaders in the 6th century. 
Think of all the movies that have been made where kings are major players in the plot. We love stories that involve kings and queens and princes and princesses, clearly. What is with our fascination with this? I would argue it's a memory trace. We have a fascination with kings because deep down, deep down, we know we were made to serve a king. That's why human beings have a fascination with them. And that's why this fascination is going to continue. When we examine Jesus' kingship, we typically compare it to the movies and the novels and the romances and the stories and the histories that we grew up with. And when we look at Jesus and compare him to King Arthur, we get disappointed. But the reality is, if Jesus, if King Jesus was a typical king along the lines of a King Arthur, we would be greatly disappointed because the overwhelming testimony of history is that stallion-riding, enemy-crushing kings are tyrannical. They lack mercy and they lack compassion. They are oppressive. This is what's so remarkable about Jesus. He blends a perfect balance of power and gentleness. He's not going to be a king who oppresses the poor. He'll build them up. At the same time, he's not going to be a king who can be easily manipulated and taken advantage of. He will one day eradicate evil and suffering. And the text begs us to stand in awe of this perfect balance of strength and gentleness. Strength and gentleness because that's the kind of king he is. He's all-powerful and merciful. The question to us is, can we follow a king who doesn't make our life comfortable? Can you follow a king who shows the utmost humility and gentleness when you want him to be strong? That's the kind of king he is. Take him or leave him. Second, the response he deserves The whole crowd of disciples joyfully praised God in loud voices. They sang, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. This whole crowd is affirming and celebrating their king. They're delighting in him. They're enjoying in him. They're enjoying him. You know, our times of praise when we gather here on Sunday mornings could be so much more than we as disciples typically make it. I think there's a big misconception and misunderstanding about praise. We gather every Sunday in this room to praise, but what is it? Just singing songs? What is praise? C.S. Lewis puts his finger on it in his little book called Reflections on the Psalms. He writes this, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy. Because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur And then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in the ditch. 
to hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. I think Lewis is right. Praise is evidence of enjoyment. Praise is the climax of enjoyment. When we gather to praise God, we gather not to routinely sing songs about how great God is. That's not the point of it. The point of it is that we gather in this room, yes, to sing, but to express our enjoyment of this God. Our enjoyment of Him is incomplete until it is expressed in praise. Now that raises a question. How do we come to enjoy something or someone, anything? How do we come to enjoy something? Let's, let's conduct some thought experiments as we ponder this. How do you come to enjoy something, some, some, anything? Has anyone ever asked you if you like a certain food? Your, your response may be, well, I don't know. I've never had that before. Do you like caviar? Well, I don't know. I've never had that before. If you haven't had caviar before, you, you can't say you enjoy caviar. Well, how do you come to enjoy caviar? Well, you have to try it first. You have to taste it. Now, for most people, the split second after trying a new food, you're going to be able to conclude whether or not you like that food. Right? But you have to try it. You have to taste it. Food, relatively simple object. There isn't a lot of complexity to it. Usually in a, a split second, you have decided whether or not you like this. Let's move on to a more complicated object. How about a vehicle? How do you know if you enjoy a certain kind of vehicle? Well, if you've ever bought one, you know very well about the process of coming to enjoy a vehicle. Maybe you have to look at something that, that catches your eye in the lot. You have to spend a few minutes looking it over. You have to hop in. You've got to play with all the gadgets that are in there. Do I like this? Do I not like this? Do I enjoy this? Do I not enjoy this? You have to take it out for a spin. How does it handle? What does it sound like? What does it feel like? Now, even after all of that, you might have to sleep on it a day or two before you can conclude that you enjoy that vehicle. Coming to enjoy a vehicle is a little more complicated, isn't it? Take something even more complex than that. Another human being. How do you come to enjoy another human being? You might be thinking to yourself, I don't know, I've never found one I enjoy. <laughs> How do you come to enjoy another human being? We well, gotta spend time with that person, quite a bit of time with that person. You have to talk and listen observe and ask questions. You have to see them interact with other people. You have to observe how they respond when life gets challenging. The process of coming to enjoy another human being is long and sometimes very complicated. Why would we think it's any different with God? The more complex the object of your enjoyment, the longer it may take to find enjoyment in that object. Do you enjoy Jesus? Have you dedicated the time and the energy to getting to know him, 
Now, here's the good news. When you do enjoy a complex object, that joy is usually exceedingly deep and immovable. This is the response that this king deserves. But what happens when people don't praise him? What happens when people show no evidence of enjoying him? His heart breaks. Let's look at the compassion he feels. Verse 41, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. So in the midst of this jubilant celebration, this sovereign Christ weeps over the lost in Jerusalem. They were people who had been given opportunity to follow him, to acknowledge him as Messiah, the hope for the world. They were a people who had been joining in on the celebration, but to them, Jesus was a disappointment. They expected a stallion-riding king who would scatter the Romans. But when they came to realize he was the kind of king who rode on donkeys instead, they grew disillusioned with him. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you've grown disillusioned with Jesus. Maybe you truly just don't enjoy him. Maybe Jesus has been a disappointment to you because he hasn't scattered the Romans from around you. Maybe you're disillusioned with Jesus because he hasn't made your life a little more comfortable and predictable. He hasn't granted you security and happiness. Maybe you're disappointed with Jesus because he hasn't scattered the Romans. You know what Jesus says to that? He says, you know, I could scatter the Romans. I could act in vengeance against the person who's hurt you. I could give you all the security and happiness you can handle. I can give you all the money you need more. I could fill your life with comfort and convenience. But those aren't your deepest needs. If I did all of that for you, what are you going to do about your sin and the death that comes with it? Maybe some of you here today are like the people of Jerusalem, disappointed with God because he hasn't lived up to your expectations of him. He hasn't been what you thought he would be. Maybe not out loud, but under your breath, you're saying to yourself, I don't know if I can commit to a God who hasn't gotten my life right. If that's you, understand that Jesus is not screaming at you in response to that. He doesn't condemn you. He doesn't wag his finger at you. He weeps over you. He's pleading with you to see him for the kind of king he really is. He's a king who can deal decisively with your enemies. He's a king who can grant you overwhelming comfort and happiness. He's a king who can give you financial security. But more than that, he's a king who can solve your deepest problem. Sin and death. But in order for him to deal with your deepest problem, your deepest problem needs to become his deepest problem. And that means riding on donkeys instead of stallions and carrying a cross instead of a sword. 
those of you who are part of the celebration, who truly are enjoying Jesus and are filled with joy for the kind of king he is, Jesus' tears speak to us as well. Outside these walls stands our own Jerusalem. People in Mequon, Cedarburg, Grafton, Thienesville, Port Washington, Sockville, Fredonia, Newburgh, River Hills, Fox Point, Glendale, Jackson, and more. There are people in every one of these cities who do not enjoy Christ, who are disappointed with him, who don't believe he's worth following. Pray that God would give you tears for them. Pray God would give you the kind of heartfelt compassion for them Jesus shows for the lost of Jerusalem. The story is told about a conversation that occurred between two preachers, Robert Murray Machane and Horatius Bonar. Bonar told Machane that he had the previous Sunday preached on the subject of hell. Machane responded to his friend's statement quickly, saying, and were you enabled by God's grace to preach it with tears? Those who truly enjoy Christ also share in his mercy and compassion and they share in his tears over the lost. But tears are not enough. Jesus is moving towards Jerusalem. He's on the move, heading towards Jerusalem. He's moving towards a need. He will spend the next week confronting, rebuking, loving, and caring for these people in an attempt to get them to see their need for the kind of king he is. And that mission is ours as well. Mercy and compassion are helpful. They actually do things that help people. So what will it be for you? How will you move towards the need of others this week? Maybe it's just an encouraging word to a struggling neighbor. Maybe it's helping to meet a financial need of a friend or a coworker. Maybe it's inviting lost people to come to our Easter celebration next week. And maybe it's just talking about the hope that you have because of what Christ has done for you. Mercy and compassion are not just feelings. They move, they do something. And how did Jesus do that? He saw our need, moved to mercy, moved to compassion, moved to grace. He left his luxurious and comfortable throne in heaven, clothed himself in frail human flesh, became a slave, died a criminal's death so that we can have life with him. That's how Jesus did something about our needs. And we share in that mission. 
we share in Jesus' mission to see the masses come to enjoy the kind of king he is. Let's pray. Jesus, give us hearts that long for the kind of king you are. As we ponder the unique blend of mercy and power you possess with perfection, I pray that we would be moved to praise. Grow our enjoyment of you, Jesus. I pray also that you would give us hearts that break and eyes that weep over those who are far from you. Spur us on to move towards those who find you to be disappointing. Outside these walls, there are countless numbers of people who care for you no more than they care for a tin can in the ditch. I pray, Jesus, that you would give us the courage and compassion necessary to move into their lives, to care for, confront, rebuke, and love these people so that one day they may join in on the celebration. We ask all of this for the fame of your renown 